All right, welcome everybody. Welcome to episode number twelve of our podcast called Behind the Wheels. My name is DJ Artistic. I am the host. I am a DJ and cultural curator based here in Los Angeles, California. Let me introduce you all to my co-host, Mr. E.B. E.B., what it do? What's going on, everybody? I am E.B. By now, y'all know I am the musicologist. I am in love with everything black culture, black music, black people, black hair, anything black I love. <laughs> black cars, the black keys on the piano, whatever. Hey, whatever it is, though. Dressed you know in all black like the omen. You already know how that goes. This is for my homies. So this is Behind <laughs> the Wheels. We are bringing um everything related to black music to you so we have a lineup for today where we're going to be talking about some legendary artists some artists who we feel are next up we're going to discuss a topic that a lot of us are passionate about and we always end off with the beat match where we take two artists producers albums whatever it is and put them together and you know see who would come on top in the battle so with that uh, before we get into everything we're just going to catch up and talk about some things that are going on Currently, just in the in the culture of uh, black music and, you know, everything that we're into. So the last thing that most of us did watch that was huge, I would say, is the Image Awards. The Image Awards is one of my favorite award shows. It's where black. I always, it's black. So I get annoyed when people always complain about whether it's the Tonys or Oscars or Grammys yeah. for, for not giving black folks their shine. And I'm like, we have our own and we should respect that. We so, have several. So several we, at we, that. I mean, if they're not giving us what we need, we just do it ourselves. That's the way we got to do it. That's that's the way we came in the game, and that's what they love about us, and that's what they take anyway, anyway, anyway. So uh, let's get into some of those winners. So what do you feel about the winners that that were uh, nominated and won for each um, each category? So I know Entertainer of the Year was DJ D-Nice. And Listen, yeah, just musically speaking, I was so happy to – See D-Nice take the Entertainer of the Year Award and for Versus to take the Variety Series, especially yeah. in the day and age that we are in when everything <laughs> is going streaming. Yeah. And like we lived through the beginning stages of this pandemic when black music literally saved the world. You had <laughs> D-Nice for 732 hours just live on Instagram, <laughs> no bathroom break. 732? Yeah, yeah. Just, just spinning. And then you had Swiss and Tim create this uh versus platform where i guess it was encouraging us to all stay home and stay safe so i was happy to see those people take those awards um meth and mary you know who are music royalty but i was happy to see them win for supporting actress and supporting <laughs> actor on power i haven't watched yeah. it but me i was neither, happy to neither. see them win i was just like you know we know where hip-hop and r&b started like yeah 30 years ago, nobody ever thought that Meth and Mary would be acting <laughs> on a primetime show. Like, that that was unheard of. And winning awards and for And winning it. awards yeah. for their acting. Yeah, like, Mary Mary was the one who was singing on Father MC. And then Method Meth was the one who who was uh, who looked crazy with the hair. He couldn't even get anybody to finish braiding his hair for yeah. his first video. So, you know... Like they come a long way. I was happy to see. I was happy to see those wins. John Baptiste won for the Soul soundtrack, and Soul I had fire. issues yeah. with the the soundtrack as a whole. And we're gonna talk about soundtracks later. But yeah. I was happy to see them take or him specifically take that award because it was well deserved. I agree with that. Yeah, basically, like like you said with D Nice, I feel like the the crazy thing about D Nice is that. 
it's two things. The funniest part is that a lot of people who I would say are under 35, especially under 30, no a idea. lot of them, a lot of them either didn't know who he was at all, or they might, the ones who do recognize, um, call me D nice from exactly 31 years ago are like, Oh, it's the same D nice. Like that was the, the main thing I heard the first yeah. month was like, Oh, it's the same D nice from that. And it showed that, I mean, he was around before that. He was around with self-destruction and he had yeah, so much he stuff he worked on. Down, so he yeah, was, Boogie Down production. So it. he's been around for so long. He was a photographer. He did, I think, Carl Thomas's album cover and all these album covers yeah. in the 2000s in that he's peaking as a DJ as he turned 50. Like it, it gives DJs hope too because we're so used to hip-hop being a culture of just the youth. Like you have to be young to be popping. But to see him reaching this peak at 50 years old is crazy. Like it means a lot of DJs who think they're too old because they're 30 i'm like nah you have you have time you gotta keep on pushing so that was definitely yeah. inspirational so much love to him for that and um, as far as other awards i feel like of course outstanding male artists went to drake and it's where drake is drake so it's like no matter how much you love or hate him i can never be mad when he wins something because he's always going to be basically the biggest or the one of the top three biggest artists every year since like 09 he hasn't really had a year off that that he didn't have at least one or two big hits. Usually every summer you just expect Drake to have a hit. Mm-hmm. So it's like whenever he wins, it's like, yeah, even if I didn't love what he made, it's like it's always going to, you know, he deserves it in, in that sense. Female artist, Beyonce, and I mean, similar except for me, Beyonce's always going to have some heat. She always changes up her style every couple years. So we're in that trap Beyonce era, which I'm not the hugest fan of overall, <laughs> but I still, I mean, I enjoy it when I'm playing it for a club. I can I'll respect it because yeah. I feel like it's very close to uh, her Houston roots. I feel it is like, Houston. It is. I feel like yeah. we we get in this authentic side <laughs> of Beyonce of the elusive Beyonce <laughs> that we don't yeah. often get. So I can respect it, but you know when you when you're Beyonce and you have the voice that you have and you're able to do so much. Sometimes I just want to hear something else, but I respect it. Yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like. Like, I just want some soulful. I mean, of course, both of us selfishly want her to make just a straight soulful, jazzy slash, just like musical. Exactly. But but we get that that's not her crowd that's and audience in that. Yeah. She doesn't have to, like, who cares if, if we like it, so, you know? So <laughs> overall, I mean, as long as she's doing what she do, I got to respect it. So some of the other um, awards. Uh, I haven't even heard the Clark Sisters return album, but I mean, it's it's Clark Sisters. So It's, it's the Clark Sisters. Yeah. I've heard it. Um, How was it? <laughs> I won't say it was the best because they had some okay. good songs, but on the strength that they are the Clark sisters and there were four of them reuniting to do this album, it was great. You know, that song yeah. Victory is amazing. And yeah. now Victory that goes. Karen has kind of taken the reins and does most of the writing, then mm. I, I like the switch in their style. You know, Twinkie was doing it all before, and, and that's still yeah. all of my favorite, but you can see them evolve. And, you know, Jackie's still a nurse. So we got to respect yeah. her for that. And Dorinda, yeah. you know, she the rose of gospel. You know, she going to drink, she going to cuss, but she going to give us a good vocal. That's that's what being a church person is about, you know, <laughs> ha- having both sides covered. So That's right. I mean, we saw what Kirk was saying to his son. So any, anyway, we ain't going to get into that. But yeah, I mean, I feel it. And uh, before we uh, wrap up with, with this part, uh, as far as the Image Awards, I was happy to see Hit Boy get that producer of the year. He's from the IE. Yeah. The hour outside of L.A. and it's where... One thing with me is knowing how it goes. A lot of times the the IE is the type of place that is not inner city LA. So they don't always grow up. They grew up here in West Coast music, but they also enjoy stuff from everywhere else because they they aren't right there on Crenshaw Boulevard. So they, a lot of times the IE rappers and producers end up being able to adapt. 
more than LA producers sometimes, which sounds crazy, but they, mm. like with Hit Boy, I see his influences. Like he made, of course, he made Ends uh, in Paris 10 years ago for Jay Z and Kanye, and he's still at it making hits. So it's where he always had a very versatile style. He worked with Audio Push back in the day, and he can make whatever you throw at him. He can make East Coast, Down South, futuristic type, type hits. Listen. The boom bap with the samples. Like, that versatility is what will take you further than anything else in the music game is that yeah. you're able to, you know, change up your style, adapt and evolve over time. So you're not yeah. always giving the exact same beats. You're not producing mm. the exact same artists because there are a lot of people that are. So this is well-deserved, especially, you know, in words in Paris was, <laughs> it was, it, it was, was a the biggest, time in music. Like people, people don't want to, people do not want to agree with me. I still say it's the biggest song of the last 10, 12 years because there's no other song you heard five Listen, times in a row. Gwyneth Paltrow club, would agree with you. It is the biggest. <laughs> it Paltrow. is like we've had. There's, yeah. And I'm thinking, I don't think there's been anything bigger. I think since. since since in the club, I don't think anything has been as big. Like, like that song was so huge and it was where you heard it everywhere. It's like a lot of times people who were at the hood club say that, we weren't playing that. I'm like, that's a lie. Y'all might not have played it for more than a month or two, but at its peak, everywhere you <laughs> everybody went, everybody played it because yeah. it was provocative. That's you know, that's, that's what we wanted yeah. to hear. You everybody, going. everybody was scared to hit. Well, I was going to say scared to say, not Gwyneth Paltrow, but everybody <laughs> else was scared to say the word. <laughs> Yeah. And that was why the song just stuck. And it, it's not just about the word. The song was actually just a hot song. It was catchy. It was bouncy. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, salute to Hit Boy for that. So um, the other thing that everyone um enjoyed so everyone knows that we do record this show a week early so that means versus has already happened between isley brothers and earth wind and fire and yes. me and eb did speculate you know on, on the verses between you know the two or one of the two at least between yeah, isley a few shows or, ago. yeah a few shows ago so we're gonna basically gonna have to speak as if we already saw it so this is us speaking uh from the future so eb it was it was hype i mean I, I didn't forget how many hits they had, but Listen. just hearing it, hearing each song and just seeing how much each it group was did. It yeah. just like a big black family reunion. You had Verdine White with the long silky perm. Oh, it was silky You had too. Ron Isley, Mr. Beats, coming out and beating MFs with his cane. <laughs> Ernie with the guitar. I mean, it was just fill up with, you know, the, the kind of still hot falsetto. You know, we, we're getting yeah. older and it's yeah, all right. It's, it's but it's bit. like all of the hits and, the, and all of these songs are the songs that raised us. Not just songs, but these are albums. Like Earth, Wind & Fire, they are like all about black divinity and rising up and just love and the celebration. And the Isleys, they've been you know political they've been in love they've been hip-hop they've been yeah. cheated on you know it's it's one of yeah. those things where the Isleys have really like since 1959 you know it's now <laughs> that sounds 2000. insane yeah that it's sounds 1959 insane. that yeah. it's like they keep coming and not just not even as one unit it's like they got the Isley Jasper Isley stuff they got just Ron and Ernie you know they Ron. got just the earlier iteration of the Isley brothers it's like it does it doesn't stop for them seriously I feel like the thing about it is that I always love seeing a celebration because, of course, we know that you know how social media is. We know how these kids are. And I always say kids for people who are Gen Z because some of them and even the younger millennials were, were saying stuff like Earth, Wind & Fire don't have enough songs. And it's where I'm happy that they at least acknowledge Isley having songs. But at the same time, it just shows that they it takes these type of platforms to really expose 
certain generations to music because they might not have grown up with. I mean, their parents were the same age as Snoop and and Jay, so they might not have grown up on Earth, Wind, and Fire as much. They might have grown up more on like Reasonable Doubt might have been their Earth, Wind, and Fire because that was mid '90s when they were born. So yeah, I get I get why a lot of them may not be as familiar with it, but that's the the good thing about it. And I was of course the fact that they had Steve Harvey. They said we're gonna make this as black as we can make it. <laughs> I mean, nothing like a guy from Cleveland to make something blacker than it needs to be. You know, just like (laughs) that is the ultimate pinnacle of blackness. It's like go to Cleveland, just get anybody. Steve Harvey. Let's (laughs) go. Seriously. That's that's what it was. So salute to that versus that we haven't even seen yet, but we're speaking from the future. But we know it's going to be great. We know it. We already know it. So so going from that, I mean, that's a perfect way to get into our rewind. We have our rewind segment each and every episode where we talk about some artists or groups or producers from the past that, you know, that may be unsung. They might it may be someone that we still talk about, but either way, someone that we feel deserves to be put on that pedestal. So we we just want to honor them and salute them. So, EB, who would you like to start off with for your rewind for this for this episode? Honestly, I thought long and hard about this one because I wanted to pay respect to somebody that their name is not as recognizable as I think it should be. Okay. And it's a uh, singer and bass guitarist Deborah Killings, and mm. I know that name probably to some people sounds like I'm speaking a foreign language. But mm. once yeah. I go through who she is, you will definitely know who she is. Um, she started back in '87 with a group called Princess and Starbreeze, and it was a group of five. They were a funk band. She was the the only woman, and they mm. were I would say. For that time period, they were doing the things that Prince was doing. They almost sound like, wow. you know, you know, Prince was influenced in the industry, so they sounded like a a a, a Prince knockoff band in the most <laughs> respectful way possible. <laughs> Prince they, knockoff, <laughs> yeah. So that's the, you you calling them ready for the world, basically? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were they were ready for the world, but it was just they got one woman and all uh, everybody else to do. But they even did a remake yeah. a remake of uh, one of his songs is going to be lonely, which was great. Um, in 1992, she formed another group called Modest Folk, and they were, if you know, and you know, in that time period, not quite New Jack Swing, but they weren't fully hip hop soul yet. I, I'm trying to quantify mm. what their sound was during that time period because it was like they were searching. But I loved the sound they put out. She's probably best known for her work with LaFace, and that's where people will know her from because she was on every TLC album so much so that the people in the industry call her the fourth member of TLC because Hmm. not only did she sing background but she also played the bass guitar she's all over Monica's Mistang and the Boy Is Mine album background guitar Outkast AT Aliens and Equimini that's all Deborah Killing Idlewild you know if you saw Idlewild you saw Angel Davenport of course Paula Patton played Angel but the voice, it was Deborah Killing's voice. That song, Moving Cool in the Movie, is all yeah. Deborah Killing. I mean, she's been in the house band for Monique's show that was on BET, Showtime at the Apollo, and the Black Girls Rock specials. Her credits are absolutely insane. I'm talking Tony Braxton, songs like Love Should Have Brought You Home and Just Be a Man About It, Babyface, mm. Give You My Heart, Monica again, you know, the first night, like this and like that, before you walk out of my life. You know, everything from Goody Mob, <laughs> Sammy's I Like, <laughs> Mr.'s Blackberry Molasses, everything TLC. So I'm talking mm. all the way from Baby, 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 Hat to the Back, to Sleigh Ride, to Waterfalls, to Unpretty. 
She's had two solo albums, and surprisingly, which I was surprised by, they both are gospel. Uh, one was released in 2003 called Surrender, and one in 2008 called Open Heaven. They, you know, they did okay, but a lot of people weren't really checking for gospel. And I think that was something that a lot of people, especially coming from working with Outkast and TLC and Tony Braxton, you kind of were taking a, you know, just taking back a little bit that you're doing a gospel album. But Deborah Killing is totally a name that should be a household name. You know, she she has been putting in work since 1987, either with a group or solo, and she deserves to be respected for that. Definitely so. So it's funny because when you first mentioned her name, it was like, I was like, she sounds like she has a name that sounds like she was 80s. I don't know why her name sounds (laughs) 80s. But I was like, it feels like I only know her for modern stuff. And as soon as you said Outkast, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do remember her yeah. working with them. Always so. background, like touring with them. Like Deborah is, and it's, it's. I love when an artist is an instrumentalist, but also a singer. And she yeah. fits that bill. Like she does both effortlessly. Definitely. Salute to Deborah Killings. So, yeah, everybody out there has to check out all of her music. And what was her band called again? The, um, well, the first one was first called one. Princess and Starbreeze. Princess. So it was like so, a yeah. knockoff Atlantic Star, Midnight okay. Star, you know, around that late 80s period. Yeah, I got you. Okay, okay. Salute to her. My pick will also be basically, um, I would say, dominated in the 80s, but had a resurgence in the 90s. So, Basically, Roger and Zap. So that means Roger Troutman and his group called Zap. So the thing about Roger and Zap is where I would say Roger Troutman is. I remember when they had the unsung episode on him um, on Unsung. And initially I was like, how is he unsung? Because he's on the he's at the top of the top to me. But then I had to think about it. Like, it's the fact that he's that that for the West Coast. And if you're from the Midwest, from Ohio, you're from Detroit, you're from even the St. Louis and you grew up on just funk and West Coast rap, you see him as being like a, a, an idol type because he yeah. he inspired so much of the West Coast sound. I actually, uh, we did talk about One Way on a previous episode, and they had a similar sound at times, but I would say that a lot of it came from Roger. I feel like One Way was more acoustic. They didn't really use the synths and mm-hmm. the talk box as much until Roger, at least from, I might have to research more, but that's just the way I saw it, just from yeah, looking yeah, back. that's right. Okay, okay, so, so with Roger and Zap, um, Everybody knows that talk box sound and a lot of folks don't even know where it comes from. And people might even mix it up and say that T-Pain uses either they'll say T-Pain uses a talk box or that Roger uses auto tune. And I'm like, nah, Roger is the talk box is different. You actually. So I didn't realize how hard it was until I went to a studio with some of my boys. And I I know like my boy Mosky and Battle Cat, they use the talk box. DJ Quick uses it. Mm -hmm. And when they use it, I didn't realize that you're not just singing these notes and it's just catching it and making it sound the way. You have to play the keys at the time as you're singing. So you're yep. multitasking and being creative enough to where everything you heard, like California Love is Roger Roger Troutman. So it's like like everything he's doing, Cali, Ali, he's playing all these notes and singing it. So it's such a creative, innovative sound that it probably sounded so futuristic in the 80s, but it still sounds futuristic when you hear it now. Like it sounds vintage, but at the same time, it never sounds dated if you use it right. So yeah. along with that, it's where some folks might know him. Okay, they know him as the guy who who had the talk box. But as far as the music he made, it's been sampled so much. It's been interpolated so much. It's been even beyond the main hits. So everybody knows the main. I can't say everybody knows. We know the main, main we song know. is probably. We're teaching. Yeah. 
So more bounce to the ounces. I would still say his staple. I would say it was his biggest song. It feels like, in a way, Computer Love has kind of, I won't say outlived it, but Computer Love has been sampled more recently. Yeah. So Computer Love, you hear a lot more um, frequently. You hear, hear that sample, even with like the Wiz Khalifa. That was just what last year they had the Something New Challenge with Wiz mm-hmm. Khalifa and Todd Alassane, and that was the biggest TikTok song. And that was just a direct, direct interpolation of that. And then even 10 years before that, you had you had a download from Lil' Kim. She used it. So yeah. They use that. And then you have um then you have I Wanna Be Your Man, I would say, is one of his most recognizable songs because mm-hmm. that was huge from like Love and Basketball. So you're always yep. hearing that that song. And then you have Be All Right, which is not as big of a song, but that inspires some classics. I mean, in the that same year the of nineteen ninety three, you had Keep Your Head Up and you had Knocking the Boots from H Town. Mm-hmm. Those both sampled that uh Be All Right. And that's it's the type thing where they both use it totally different where as a kid I didn't even think about the fact that it's the same exact song. And then two years later or a year later, you had Mocha Steph with He's he's Mine. They sampled it. So it's yeah. like they're seeing how much they, those were sampled. But then along with their upbeat funk, you had the Do I Diddy. You had the Dance Floor. You had the, um, what is it called? Heartbreaker. Heartbreaker was sampled by LBC Crew back in 96 on A Thin Line Between Love and Hate. So I feel like they, they had so many of these bangers and, one of the first albums I actually got as a kid was the Greatest Hits album from Roger and Zap. And that Greatest Hits was probably my favorite Greatest Hits album ever because it was the whole thing. It felt like one album because their sound didn't really change that much throughout the time. They had the slow jams. They had a different vibe, like mm-hmm. slow and easy sound, just like, you know, like Computer Love. But I didn't realize until recently that that song was actually made for that Greatest Hits album. That song was made in 93. I thought it was from the 80s because it sounded just like everything else. Yeah, no. And, that, yeah. you know, like like you said, their sound was, I would say, like so cohesive that yeah. it didn't get mundane and it was like, you know, this is boring. But they could their greatest hits could sound like this is supposed to be an album that could be put out today because yeah. his sound didn't really, I guess, and maybe it was the talk box. Maybe that was a lot of it. But his sound didn't age to me. Like it, it still yeah. sounds very fresh. It does. It does. So I feel like. Anything that you put, Roger on is always going to sound dope. He's always going to be sampled. And always. I still remember that day getting uh, picked up from school, and my dad told me. So huh, So Roger got killed by his brother, and it was just like, what? Just hearing that was – I remember that exact day back in 99. So Crazy. It was one of those – because he, he was basically on, like, his second, um, his second like, like burst of stardom that he could have – maybe even become bigger. I mean, California Love was one of the biggest songs of the 90s by far. And he was on all type of stuff from artists from the Bay Area and everything. And I feel like just like Ron Isley and Charlie Wilson had that same exact resurgence in the same time in that mid late Mm -hmm. 90s because of rappers Mm -hmm. and R&B singers. It would have been the same for him. So he would have still been here. And the fact that we do say auto-tune is similar to Talkbox, we would have had him and T-Pain doing songs together. And that would have been amazing because a yeah. lot of people they didn't know, especially when T when T Pain first started using Talkbox. I'm sorry, Auto Tune. Auto Tune. Yeah. When he started using Auto Tune, people did not realize that, like you said, the Talkbox was something totally different. So to have yeah. both of them probably like around like by like 2008 to come together, because I'm pretty yeah. sure. That you know, T Pain would have either they would have worked together like a real collaboration in studio, or T Pain would have brought him out at some award show yeah, and been easy. like, "Yo, th- this is the lineage of the sound, it like, is, ladies and gentlemen." You know, Roger Troutman and yeah. just his genius. I really think had he not died prematurely, that I think he would be you know mentioned in the same 
name is like Ron Isley or Charlie Wilson just because yeah. hip hop really revitalized his career. And I won't say his career ever died, but he, he had a very regional style career. It was very like his sound was very West Coast, Midwest, but we yeah. still loved it in the South. I remember. Hmm. And even back in Texas, Erica Badu always talks about Be All Right. Like she actually incorporated wow, it into wow. her live show where they sing it. So it's like that's it was a major mm. influence on artists like every genre and of every age. It makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like he would have been talked about even more. So it's sad that we lost him that way 22 years ago, but we got to uplift that legacy of Mr. Roger Troutman. Rest in peace. Keep it alive. Yep. And to the whole family, you know, they still, Zap still performs too. So yeah. especially out here on these little boat cruises and these, these little random funk clubs in East LA, if you get what I'm saying, they, they still oh. love some Zap. So yeah. So it, okay. it still goes up. So salute to that. So on the inverse of the rewind segment, we have what's called the fast forward. When we talk about some artists that are on the come up, on the way to possible potential stardom. So for uh, this segment, uh, for this episode, who would you like to mention for your fast forward? Miss Ali Caldwell, which is, Ali Caldwell. Okay. you know, I'm very excited. Um, first of all, she's American, y'all. So I'm, okay. I'm, I'm back. back to America. I'm back and I'm coming to America. You know, um, she's actually from Woodbridge, New Jersey. But when she started out, she was a member of this group called Exhale, which was X-H-A-L-E. Um, oh, I seen that. They were just yeah. three three women, but they opened for Boys to Men on tour, and they were asked personally by Patti LaBelle to perform at her tribute concert. And if some if Patti's asking you to sing, mm-hmm. that means that you can sing because Patti don't she don't play. Yeah. But yeah, ultimately, you know, you know, all this success out of the door but they could not find a label um and i think it's a a mixture of you know labels just didn't know what to do with them at the time because it wasn't really big to have these really big vocalists but she was a regular in new york city on the scene and underground scene here actually um there's a clip on youtube of her performing beyonce's one plus one Mm. and to sing a beyonce song and kill it that takes First of all, it takes talent, but it takes a lot of heart. But Tyler Perry actually saw her at the Village Underground, ended up going back and on his Facebook, he wrote about it and how amazing she was because this girl is a singer. Um, She's competed on The Voice and The Four, which are two music shows in the same vein as like American Idol. She's done covers of everybody's songs on the show. I mean, she's done Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. She's done Patti LaBelle's Somebody mm-hmm. Loves You, Baby. Mariah's My All and Without You and Mary's No More Drama. Um, Puffy and DJ Khaled actually said that one of her superpowers is that her voice sounds like it's already been studio engineered. In the studio, <laughs> wow. you wouldn't really have to do anything. And yeah. because I've seen her live on these shows and on YouTube, it's like, no, you're really hitting these notes that a lot of vets will have to have somebody, you know, engineer for them. And she does it effortlessly. Um, her voice is pretty perfect to me. I think she released an EP back in 2015, um, a short EP called Heart of Ballads, which was great. But her debut album came out in 2018 and it was called 88. And no matter what song you play on there, I mean, there's a song called Stuck, one called Perfect Situation, one called Relevant, one called In My Head. It is the perfect Hmm. album to just put on and let ride, not only because the production is pretty nice, but because vocally, I think she's a beast. 
And I'm glad uh, that, you know, we have that representation out there right now. And everybody is not the same girl. Like this girl is, yeah. this girl is, she's, I think she was on the four and she didn't win because the girl who won, they said was a quote unquote ready-made artist. And I'm, you know, I'm using my air quotes. We know uh, what that means. The four is, she had the look. Yeah. You know, the girl had the look, but Allie had the voice and the way she came out week after week. And, you know, just killed these songs. I think if you watch the show, either that or The Voice, um, by then she had her signature red hair. So when you see her, she was always with the bright red hair. And she was just killing it. Like Adele's Set Fire to the Rain. She killed it. Dolly Parton's mm-hmm. 9 to 5. Not only kill it, but, you know, take a song, make it soulful and make it your own. And, you know kind of surpassed the artists who did it not because you necessarily sound better but because you made it your own y'all know i'm mary's biggest fan <laughs> but when i heard her sing no more drama and i was just like okay you know what you, you made you, like you made it your own you didn't try to be mary you didn't try to be patty you didn't try to be mariah or whitney but you did that and that's why ali caldwell deserves to be everybody's fast forward because she's amazing i definitely gotta check her out um it's funny that you mentioned that that all these girls aren't the same because I, I know I was playing Joyce uh, Rice a couple yeah. a couple weeks ago. And to me, she's definitely dope. But I guess the one song she has with Freddie Gibbs, I mm-hmm. guess it does sound similar to what people are saying, all the new girls. And everybody started coming in like, all the new girls sound the same. And I'm like, it's definitely a couple who have a different style. They have different yeah. styles. Like even Joyce, like I remember yeah. Joyce had songs before the Freddie Gibbs one, but I think everybody sure. just kind of conforms to what the industry wants, especially when you collaborate with somebody because you got to give yeah. them what you what they want. Yeah, but I don't think there are a lot of people that do sound alike. Um, Ali's definitely different. Like she, you can hear the influence where they all may have been influenced by the same people, but you can tell like she's not scared to sing. I mean, in a way, she reminds mm. me, and I'm not saying they sound alike vocally. But she yeah. reminds me of like a Fantasia or Jennifer Hudson. Like she does not scared to go mm. there. Like she's really on stage to sing. She, she don't care there. what comes out or how it comes out or what she look like. Like she's going to take it there each and every time. Must respect to her. I, I definitely got to check her out, especially yeah. hearing that she was on the four. It's crazy because the four, whenever I watch it, I just get irritated seeing the dopest singers on there lose. I mean, that's every show. That's, <laughs> that's every show. Yeah. All these primetime shows are not made for our actual talented vocalists. It's not. No. No, so, but I mean, yeah. I, I liked it that they get the exposure and yeah, they do. because Allie's exposure, like she's toured with Christina Aguilera since she's worked mm. all over Russia, all over yeah. Europe. She's, you know, she's been putting in work touring internationally and, you know, grinding. But I'm glad that she was able to get that exposure, even though the show, true. I would say the show did her wrong. You know, the, that yeah, exposure, you cannot like that's something that you can't get anywhere else. So salute to them. That's true, for sure, yeah. I definitely got to agree with that. So oh, for my fast forward, I'm going to go a whole different direction, but, I mean, it's all about balance. So I feel like, <laughs> you know, we, we're bringing y'all artists to listen to for any moment. We got people for, moment. for the wedding, for the bedroom, for the cruise, the ride home, and for the club club. And I'm about to take it to the club club. I'm going to Houston, Texas. So my hey. pick for this week is Mr. Beat King. So Let's Beat go. King is the type of artist that – Either you never heard of him before or you love him. I don't think it's an in-between. Nope. I don't think it's no in-between. I first heard of him maybe 10, 11 years ago. He had a song called Crush. And every single song he has is essentially the same exact speed. It's the same feel. It's the same. He, he uses the Godzilla. No, no, not Godzilla, but the, uh, he calls himself Beatzilla, but he uses the Jaws, the da-da. 
that's his signature uh, trademark. So whenever you hear that, duh, duh, you know you have to be twerking. So it's like <laughs> he is just the king of the twerk the last 10 years, but it's all been kind of local in Texas. I, I didn't even hear his music going to Atlanta or going to Florida or going to D.C. So Houston, they know about him. I'm thinking even Louisiana, I'm not sure, maybe. Some people in Louisiana. Cause okay, I, okay. That's one of the places where I first heard of him was actually mm. while I was in New Orleans. But okay. it you know took the internet for me to really get into who he was. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, because I feel like he, yeah, basically I learned about him from social media. I kept seeing his songs. And one thing about Houston rappers and, and Texas rappers, period, I realized if you're a DJ on Twitter, they follow you back. Like New York, LA, Atlanta rappers, they don't care if you're not verified with 100K, but Texas rappers, they don't care who you are, they're going to follow you because they, they have had that type of like relationship with DJs. So I, I salute them. Same with Charlie Boy and Darrell. They all the same with that. So mm -hmm. B King. As soon as he followed me and sent me some of his stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm playing this in L.A. And it's he has a type of music that even if you never heard it, if you in the club and you sipping something, you hear he got a song called Throw That Ass. So as soon, soon as you hear him aggressively say it, it's like girls just drop. And it's like he he That's always universal. had these bangers. And then last year, like it was a video I'm watching with like a, a girl in the car and her mom. And this song comes on and it's like the lyrics come on with a girl. And she say like club God say like throw that at, poke it out, and like it come in so ignorant and ratchet and catchy. I'm like, what is this? And her it's first Houston. line, her first lines, I ain't gay, but I let a girl eat me out. I'm like, what, 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 what am I listening to? <laughs> and it shows the mom, the mom's reaction is like, hold up, like cut this off. But as soon as the beat drop, the mom is bouncing and she's like, oh, this is kind of like she couldn't stop herself. And then everything he's saying is is ratchet. And she's like, no, no, I don't like this. But then she keeps on bouncing. Then, then he says something, if you keep your pee clean, then scream. Both mom and daughter sang it in harmony. I'm like, this is the most ignorant, stupid, amazing, brilliant <laughs> ratchetivity I've ever heard. And I'm like, I'm a fan. So I, I know it was him, but I didn't know that it was called. So I found out that song is called Then Leave. Then I see the video for it, and the video is even worse than that. He's talking about, about I, I, I'll buy you a, a, a Whataburger slushy. I'm like... He is just over the top, and it's and I love him for it. So it's where, it's it's probably gonna be a love or hate thing when he really gets to that level because it's it's so ratchet. It's just like how Ying Yang Twins were back in the day, but it's it's made for that mood. Like it's not really mm. made. I mean, if you want to hear it at work, if you want to hear it mm. when you're like doing taxes, if that's what empowers you, do it. Be, but it's there are people that <laughs> yeah. do that. There are people that that's what they need to, to you know yeah. to operate. And hey, you you yeah, be providing it. Yeah, that's how I feel. So it's like I think. Like he has a new song with Ying Yang and Lil John, and I feel like he's he's finally starting to collaborate with these uh, bigger artists. Just like Texas is really bringing back the twerk. Like Atlanta is still kind of stuck in just the, the I sell drugs mode, but Texas mm -hmm. between DJ shows, between um, O and B, I think Bloodbath, and um, who else? Chase B, and then of course Meg and Erica Banks. Uh, Texas is they're bringing a whole new twerk sound it's all kind of in the trappish bpm 70 75 bpm even like different yeah yeah like yellow beezy has some trap songs with erica i mean some some twerk songs like he has a song that he samples uh doing the butt so i think texas mm -hmm. is really bringing back the twerking so my whole thing is this summer it's gonna be one of the most twerked out ratified summers we've had because <laughs> we've been on lockdown for a whole year and i think People are ready to dance. They don't just feel like going out, being on their phone, being cute. So I think B King, if he if he drops just one more song before summer hits, he gonna blow up like at that level. I think. Yeah, I think it, for any artist actually um, who is smart, 
you will yeah. realize that the world is opening back up soon. Maybe not yeah. all the way back to normal, but now is the time that you might want to drop a summer banger. Just drop yeah. one. And I mean, because everything will be open. Everybody will be everywhere. So the variety will be amazing. But his music especially, and I know yeah. the people in Texas love it. I don't even know if I've ever heard his music like outside of me searching for it. Yeah. Like I've never heard it like on the radio in New York or I've never heard it hmm. like on even like on like on satellite radio. I've never heard it. Not but yeah. in person, you know, or when I was in New Orleans, I heard some of it. And, you know, my my uh, my illegal downloads work. So, you know, I, I hear <laughs> yeah. a lot of it that way. And TikTok. <laughs> TikTok. Yeah, TikTok is what that's the club anyway. TikTok was the club for quarantine. So that's what breaks a lot of stuff anyway. So y'all yeah, feel like, yeah. Um, with him, I'll say for DJs who are listening, like I've never I've never played any of his songs that had a bad reaction. Like a lot of that Texas type twerk music is where it's universal. It don't matter where you at. If you just hear it, like even um Fat Pimp got a song called Left Right and it it come in, big girl gonna work, little girl gonna twerk. As soon as you hear that clap, it's like, oh, what is this? Like it's it's, it's the anthem. Yeah. It's the anthem. It is. So so salute B King. I think he I think he's next up when it comes to that twerk lane. So with that, I think it's time for a quick twerk break. I mean, a quick break. A quick break. <laughs> I ain't doing no nothing. I'm about to get some water. A and, you twerk know. break. Yeah, so when we come back, we're going to be discussing something that a lot of us loved a lot in back in the 90s, and I think they're making the return. And then we're going to have a beat match featuring some artists that we have, you know, discussed in previous episodes, and we're always talking about, you know, via social media. So at this time, we're going to go take a break, but uh, make sure that you – Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, of course, and all the music that we have is also available on our, our playlist. We have a Spotify playlist in the notes of this episode, so go ahead and check out. We're going to have all the music. It might be a weird flow. It might go from Deborah Killings and Ali Caldwell to Beat King. It might not be Listen, the best transition, but... But it'll be black, and that's it'll what be black. people come back for. It'll be black, and yeah. you know we connect dots, and you know we cross generation here, so we that's do. what they're here for. You already know it. You know that's the way we do it. So we'll see y'all in a second. We back, we back, we black, and we back. This is Behind the Wheels, episode number 12, Artistic and EB. So for today's episode, for our segment, The Drop, we're going to discuss soundtracks, just movie soundtracks, maybe even TV show soundtracks, but it's something that was a staple, I would say, all throughout the, really going back to the 70s, I would say back to the 70s, yeah. black exploitation era, through the 80s, and in the 90s, most of us probably felt that they peaked, and then... They kind of went away, but they're slowly coming back, even if it's in the form of playlists. But whatever it is, I guess just to get just to jump right into it, um, EB, what was the first soundtrack you remember hearing as a kid that just stuck stuck with you? Um, very first one that still sticks with me, honestly. It's uh, Curtis Mayfield produced the uh, Aretha Sparkle album, which of course one with the movie but that that's the one that sticks with me because of aretha's voice and um not only that it was 
hearing Aretha's version of songs that were performed by other people in the movie. For some reason, I loved that. And that was when I, I started researching soundtracks just a little bit more and realizing that there was a time when soundtracks were so, or movies were dependent on the success of a soundtrack because you had to reach hmm. the people before they saw the movie, you had to draw them in some way. Oh, wow. And that way, a lot of times we're having, you know, the biggest artists or producers work on these huge pieces of music, these soundtracks, and they will put those out before the actual movie. So even if the movie would hmm. eventually suck, which there are a lot of those, then the music would yeah, always it is, it live. Is. Like the music, you would always think <laughs> yeah. of the music and be like, oh, I remember that. So that's when I first fell in love with soundtracks. That that sparkle, it was that one and um, the Claudine that he did, that Gladys Knight and the Pip sang. That was when I really realized the power of soundtracks. Uh, I remember the Shaft soundtrack, and I remember Isaac Hayes. And you I remember, remember you, you, you was there, huh? Listen, my dad. <laughs> it felt like old, it, huh? I, it felt like I was there. I remember. Yeah. I remember just like the strings from that one. I remember like the strings coming in and being like, "Oh, this is some orchestration next level. Like yeah. this is some real stuff." And it was like, "Oh, okay." And then watching the movie, and it worked perfectly with that movie. It was like, oh, no, I feel yeah. it. Like, that whole black exploitation era, you know, you kind of felt it. The music really fit with the films. Yeah. And then, you know, in the 80s, they really blew up when you had stuff like uh, Crush Groove out. Like, hmm. like even Shaka's I Feel For You, like, that's a soundtrack yeah. song, you know. it's like That's true, yeah. It's like, okay, this is, this is what is – it could be a viable option for a lot of artists – who, for whatever reason, can't release a quality album, just get on a soundtrack. <laughs> Maybe not the whole mm. soundtrack, just release one hot song as a part one of a soundtrack. And then you, yeah. like, it's almost like by association, you're great. That's the way it feels. And it's like, it's where so many songs that we still love and play, it's where two things happen. It's a lot of times when the movie comes out and you hear a song for the first time. Like, my dad tells me, so going back to like to his 50th birthday way back in the mid 90s, I remember he was always talking about you, yeah, whatever DJ we hire, they got to play doing the butt. And like me being a young kid, I'm like, that's what what is doing the butt? That sounds weird. Like, why do you like the song called doing the butt? And he was like, it's in the, it's in the movie called School Days that Spike Lee did. And, and we all went to see that in the theater. And as soon as they played that song, the whole crowd got up and started dancing to it. And I'm like, oh, so I remember hearing it the first time. It sounded weird to me because it was just such a different song, especially I wasn't familiar with Gogo at the time. But uh. <laughs> it's like that song you hear all the time now. So you still hear that. So I would say it's that way. But then also you have it where some songs make a resurgence because of a soundtrack. A lot of songs can be older. And a lot of yeah. times they get a new type of exposure because they get put on a soundtrack. And it's where it even leads to dances. It's where like... I didn't realize it, but I think it might have been. Was it Best Man that played Candy? They from played Cameo? Candy, and everybody. And then, yeah, a song from '86. A movie came out in '99, I believe. '99, yeah. Now all of a sudden, there's a dance to this song that nobody's really ever done. Like nobody was doing the electric slide to Candy. They we weren't was listening they to weren't. the original, like Marcia Griffith. Like we was, we was doing that slide, and then yeah. you saw Nia Long, and you saw. Monica Calhoun and, and Morris Chess hairs and all that. Yeah, man. you saw you saw them doing an electric slide to Candy, and then yeah. the fact that Regina Hall, her name was Candy in the movie, one of the most beautiful women in the world. But oh, wow. it was like, hey. oh, y'all tied this together, and yeah. Candy. I think you know we loved it before, but after that movie, 
it took on a life of its own. Like that is like that is a requirement for like AP blackology. Like you gotta know candy yeah. and you gotta know how the electric slide when it come on. I don't you care if to. you do it because I you know I'm a little fancy with mine, so I like to turn around. Are you and face to spin the moves and all Listen, that? Listen, I like you, you to face dude. everybody else while they doing it. So whatever moves they doing, oh, I'm doing you. the opposite, and you gotta make real intense eye contact with them. <laughs> like somebody seventy year old grandma who thinks she doing something, be like, oh no, I got you, because uh, yeah. they go they always get tripped up so you gotta it's like a moment that you know those soundtracks built a moment that we still like we i still do that like i literally as soon as the world open up i'm going to somebody old head club and i'm looking somebody grandma in her eyes (laughs) intensely eye contact direct eye contact and i'm I'm doing the electric slide come on miss hattie come on miss gwendolyn i'm (laughs) I'm looking for you right there that's the way it is with that and i feel like it's 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 the thing so a lot of these songs blow up because they're in the movies and then a lot of times you bought these soundtracks. What I realized is that um, what I think is the reason that we, that one of the reasons that we loved them in the 90s that kind of led to their demise in the 2000s from how I see it is that I remember, so the first soundtrack I bought on my own was uh, Bad Boys back in 95. And mm. when I say on my own, that meant that my mom said, okay, here's $10 or $12 <laughs> and this all you, whatever you buy. So I, I can get four cassette tapes that are singles <laughs> yep. or them little dollar singles or I can get one soundtrack. So I got Bad Boys because it was where the, the back of the cover, it said they had a big song back then was Shy Guy. That was Diana, Diana King. King. And then, wow. then we had um, the B-side was huge, 95 summer. You had Someone to Love and then... But then the fact that you had Tupac and you had you had um you had Warren G on there and you had 69 Boys it was where when it came to these soundtracks it was back then you had to to buy a soundtrack or a compilation to get all these artists on one thing yeah. if it wasn't like a mixtape so you couldn't just buy anything else and have all your favorite artists at one time right I feel like once the 2000s happened it was the Napster slash Morpheus slash Kazaa slash Soul Seek yeah. slash LineWire era. Now it's like, oh, I like this song. Let me download that one. I like this mm-hmm. song. Let me download that one. And then we saw by the mid late two thousand soundtracks. This took songs that were already kind of out. That were already kind of big. Fit the or, mood of the movie. Yeah, they fit the mood. Or leftovers. It was like right. artists were no longer making their best songs and giving it to soundtracks. It was more so a leftover song because back mm-hmm. in the nineties, these soundtracks had, and they would have the same way we talked about remixes last episode. These soundtracks would have the remix to the song that you already knew and make it even better on the soundtrack. We had that happen a couple times. So, yeah. I mean, had, it, back yeah. in the 90s, soundtracks, I mean, and that was during the time when, when record labels would primarily produce, like, the studio yeah, contract did. with them. So everybody on the label would get the spot on this soundtrack. And that's yeah. how we met Tony Braxton. You know, we met her oh, from Boomerang. the Boomerang soundtrack. Yeah. We met <laughs> Mary J. Blige you know, from the, you remind me from the Strictly Business soundtrack. Strictly like business if they, with, if these artists whew. had not had the chance to put out these soundtrack songs, we might not have gotten full careers out of them because they That's both true. were at these labels where the people had no idea what to do with them. But yeah. once the soundtracks for these movies hit, you saw Harrell and then you saw um, LaFace go like, oh, we got to do something with these two girls. Like, what are we going to do with them? Like, they got to yeah. have full albums because people love these soundtracks. And then... I guess the early 2000s soundtracks, like for whatever decent. reason, they, they were, were decent, still, but they yeah. didn't like, they didn't, you know, I didn't turn my neck, you know, I didn't break my neck to, to see, you know, oh, well, who's going to be on the soundtrack? It was kind of yeah. like, I had to get the soundtrack and fully sit with it because before I could, 
I could walk into a store and pick up the Who's the Man soundtrack, or I could pick up the Juice soundtrack, and I would know I would love it. Just like I yeah, know I'm gonna love it be, just because of the artist on it. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna love something on there. Yes, yeah, the way I feel, and it was it's crazy because even when it comes to like Whitney Houston, I feel like it's. I mean, basically everybody does view Bodyguard as her own solo album, and they feel like it's her best album. And I mean, yeah, if it's not, it is. Like, I mean, but it's it's yeah. true. It's you know, it's. Not to discredit Whitney because Whitney is the voice; she's amazing. But her albums never hit as hard as that soundtrack hit. It was like, yeah, it's true. oh, this it's true. is like okay, so Whitney can do this. And then when we got the Way Into Exhale soundtrack, yeah, like, you got that there. really just that whole soundtrack from beginning to <laughs> end. Like I remember sitting and listening, and you know, I was shooping with Whitney. I was. Um, Hurting so I was, bad. I was sitting in my room with I Brandy. I was sitting in my room with Brandy. You know, I was showing people yeah. this how it works with TLC. I didn't even know who for real was, but I was like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. You know, Shantae yeah. Moore was, forget it, man. All that whispering. And I was hitting notes and I was just like, no, like this created, you know, these moments and even not going to cry. Like everybody associates that song yeah. with that scene with Angela Bassett. And it man. was like, this is what a soundtrack is supposed to do. Like it's these are moments. Everybody was great. Even the songs that I didn't think were that great are still my favorites. I still can put it on. I can press play, let it ride. And then we've had some soundtracks that were just. I won't say they were not, they were not good, but I think of Mariah's Glitter soundtrack. Oh yeah, well like, the I only love the only that saving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Like the only saving grace for that movie was the soundtrack. The fact that she made. A soundtrack because the movie itself yeah, was movie horrible, wasn't but great, yeah. but that 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 funkin' for Jamaica with mystical like the, the thought about putting mystical on funkin' Jamaica is brilliant. Rick, mystical said, yeah. "Get on the floor," and you was and everybody got I was on there. the floor. I was it out. was like, yeah. "Oh, okay." It was like yeah. mystical and Mariah like that. Yeah, you know that that, M- that, that MC like and MC. It, yeah, it's like something that just doesn't <laughs> yeah. make sense, but it makes all the sense when you hear it and you're like, "Oh no!" Yeah. And then they had the um. She was working with a lot of people during that time. And I remember, I guess that was like early 2000s, maybe like 2003, Yeah. And then you saw, yeah. Then you, we saw like the Brown Sugar soundtrack come out. And then we saw like before then, Stella, how Stella got her groove back. And just those moments in the film when they actually focus on the music. It's hmm. like, okay, that's going to make me want to go out and buy this soundtrack and see what's hitting yeah. on and what's not. Janet and uh, Shaggy had the, ooh boy, you know, on the How Stella Got a Groove Back soundtrack. Yeah. And it I was fits like, so perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's like stuff that people that don't even make, like nobody will put Janet and Shaggy together. Nobody <laughs> will put Mariah and Mystical it's together. True. But it it's makes true. perfect sense on a soundtrack. And that's where you, yeah. I guess that freedom of experimenting and seeing what hits and what doesn't. That's true. I, I feel the same way about that. And it was where... I would say that it was dope seeing how each soundtrack was so much different, but it was some that were directly based on the movie. Like, Wait Takes Hell was really based on the movie on half the right. songs, but then you had some where it was just random songs, like Above the Rim soundtrack. I mean, it's a basketball <laughs> movie, so there's no songs about I'm mad and I'm going to shoot you on the court, but it was where it had SWV Anything, Anything and that yeah. remix is just so fire. And you Sweet had Sable. Sweet Sable, the uh, Rest in Peace, yeah, yeah, all that. You had the... The, the big pimp and the dog pound and it was <laughs> it was just all these tracks you had uh afro puffs and it was just crazy seeing lady how rage. how yeah lady ray seeing how these songs came together so uh i would say for me personally my my favorite most underrated soundtrack is probably the wash actually 
And mm. it's probably, of course, me being Snoop Dogg, uh, Team Snoop all day. But that the thing about that soundtrack, initially it was supposed to be called Breakups to Makeups because it was supposed to be Dre and Snoop doing a full album together because it was following up the uh, Chronic 2001. But they ended up just kind of modifying it and doing the movie. And then they, they did two songs together on there. They had On the Boulevard and The Wash. The Wash was like purposely... Uh, a sequel to nothing but a G thing. It's the same mm-hmm. exact sample. Even though, I mean, next episode is kind of the, the sequel anyway, because they say just chill to the next episode. But the watch had the same exact sample. So it was kind of like part B of the remix to it. But it was, that song to me was so dope. And then they had, uh, they had everybody from Truth Hurts on there. They had Exhibit. They I had a song from Yarrow, had a song called My High. That was fire. Latoya Williams, she had a song on top of Slum Village, Get This Money. That was called. Every time and like as much as I love Slum, that it was it was better than the Slum song. No, like she Latoya read is that. that girl. Like anything Latoya she touches kills it. gold. So I yeah. 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 So that was probably my favorite. That the movie, I mean the movie was like stupid funny. I watch it because it's just if it's on, I'm gonna watch it. It's dumb. Right. I'm gonna laugh at DJ Pooh for being an idiot, but it ain't the best movie, but I'm gonna watch it. Like for you, what would you say is the most underrated or just your kind of favorite that didn't really get the same Acclaim is the waiting six hills and for whatever reason I always go back to Juice because I think Juice's soundtrack mm. because number one I mean it wasn't a movie about music but it was kind of about music like you yeah, he was a DJ, DJ so it was yeah. it was kind of about music and everything just fit perfectly and it was it was that that sweet spot in the early nineties where yeah. it's like everything that they create is going to be beautiful the hip hop and the R and B because before then we didn't really see you know, different genres on one soundtrack. It was like, unless it was yeah. a big movie, then maybe you had like the Pointer Sisters on something or Denise <laughs> Williams, but we didn't see them mixing the genres like that on soundtracks. And then when we got it, I was just like, no, this is hitting. I will say, um, yeah. we talked about Earth, Wind & Fire earlier. People don't realize that's the way of the world. Like, that is a soundtrack. Mm. Like, that was a soundtrack oh, of, wow. from the movie. So that song is like one of the greatest soundtrack songs that people don't even realize it's a soundtrack, but it's a soundtrack to a movie, which yeah. is a terrible movie, but <laughs> that the, the too, music yeah. is great. So yeah. That happens sometimes too. And with juice. So I actually DJ the uh, 25 year reunion for, for um, or anniversary Man. for juice three years ago. So it was Ernest Dickerson and Rose. They got me to do that. Man. And it was just fun. Cause they told me they were like, you don't have to play, you know, the whole soundtrack, but play a couple songs. I said I could play the whole thing straight through because it's it it's fire. Goes. But I play at least a good six to eight, and just seeing how those songs still resonate. I mean, as soon as you drop Uptown Anthems, it's the doom, the doom, doom. It's that sample that comes in from that old, um, that old James Brown baseline, yes. and then the way that Teddy flipped the "Is It Good to You?" He flipped that and gave it to Tammy Hatter, just singing on it. it Which, was, by the way, yeah. my favorite song from the entire decade of the '90s. Is yeah. Tammy Lucas's "Is It Good to You"? I feel that's really? quintessential. Like wow. that song says to me, wow. 1990s. Like it goes. It through. does. But yeah, it no, does. that soundtrack was amazing to me. Um, and then later we started seeing, you know, soundtracks kind of died down a little bit. But now, especially, I will say, um, in the past five years, especially five years, we have been seeing say- like the importance of the soundtrack and certain creators are bringing them back and they're making sure like a big one is, you know, what Issa Rae is doing with Insecure. Insecure. Yeah. It's kind of amazing because it's, it's 
tying everything together and not only are you tying things together you're exposing like soundtracks used to do exposing these artists who yeah you know they they grind in independent artists and you're like no let's let's put you on something where people will hear it i have nothing but respect for her for that it's crazy because it, it's funny like certain songs i play that have that kind of new age selection catronata ish mm-hmm. sound People's first comment is this sounds like insecure. It's like yeah. insecure is almost credit like its own lane, its own sound. So it's yeah. like whenever you hear certain songs, and then she had the songs custom made for it, like the of course the title track Insecure that had Tiller and um, mm-hmm. Jasmine on it, and then certain songs that she'll take like um, I forget the lady's name, but it's called Sober. Like now that I am sober, it's like a real kind of housey type feel, but. It's the type of music that I feel like if you didn't see it on Insecure, you might hear it somewhere at a rooftop and you might just say, okay, this is some random rooftop electronic music. <laughs> but when you hear it on the show, it just fits so perfect that it makes you see it different. So mm. she's really exposing it in a different way. So salute to Issa for doing that and for radio, you know, everything she has going on with music. And then also I would say Black Panther was the first, not the first, but the most recent soundtrack to really be big because the movie was so big. Right. And for them to get TDE behind that and to have that... That was just that was a very very brilliant concept, and then recently, no matter how you feel about the movie, even Queen and Slim soundtrack, like yeah, no thing with that, yeah. Like, like we said earlier, the movies can be trash, but the soundtracks, like the soundtrack needs to be hitting, and you know, no matter how you feel about Queen and Slim, the the sound the music. It was like, yeah. oh, even if you hated the movie, you were going to love the music. Like there, there was no yeah. way I, I would challenge anybody who says that they hate the music from that movie. Yeah, I don't believe it. I don't believe it at all. So, so yeah, I feel like we are about to reach, you know, a point where it's going to be more and more soundtracks. It's all going to be basically on streaming platforms, so we're not going to be in stores buying them, but we'll all have access to them that way. So, I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the next couple of years with that. So I'm excited to see the return of soundtracks to, to having the prominence that they once had. So Very excited. For sure, for sure. So, our last segment today is that time for that beat match. So... Beat match is where we take two artists, producers, album soundtracks, eras, whatever it is, and we can we, we have them compete uh, and see who will come on top in the battle. And we have it judged by our producers. We have Naledi and we have Melissa here as our producers to, to be the judges for it. So for this episode, so um, of course, one of the hardest things for us to decide every every episode is who do we actually pick because. 95% of the time we agree with everything agree, when it comes yeah. to like most 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 things music but when it comes to that 5% it's like we can we bump heads so this one here I, I figured it would be kind of fun um I was actually listening to the one year anniversary of Versus on Clubhouse and they were talking to Lil Jon and everybody who had been on there and I guess uh Lil Jon they they picked him because I don't know what he said it was something that he said as a comment and they're like why don't you you know we'll get you against somebody he ended up doing it against T-Pain when they did that, I Swiss said it, and I was like, hold up, John will beat you, though. And then, so oh. that's why I asked you, I was like, so in a beat match, I'm like, I was expecting you to maybe go Lil John, but I was like, like, who would you pick between John and Swiss just as a producer? Because to me, I'm I'm team John all day. Like, aside from me, from that being the homie, whatever, it's like, that's just, I, I've been team John for, since day one. See, but this is and this is unfair. Um, I wanted to fight you when I was texting you. I, I really <laughs> did because you were making me choose. You made me choose between, you know, I was in high school in South Carolina during yeah. the rise of Lil John and that sound. I, like the yink, 
I remember, well, I hope my mama not listening. I remember sneaking hey. off to the club and seeing hey. Yin Yang before they really blew up. She and, can't put and, you in punishment. And that sound, well, I don't, hey, you don't know a black mama then because I'm scared. But I remember hearing this. And when you asked me, like, which one, I, I went back and forth for a minute and I was very nervous. But I was like, I remember Swiss having, you know, that sound when I was grown, grown. Well, first of all, I remember his sound from when I was younger and then when I was grown, grown, when I thought I was grown. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, nah, I feel like Swiss got it. But it was so close because Lil John is still one of my favorites. I get it. I get it. I mean, the same with me. I mean, I was a huge Rough Riders fan, of course. So I definitely, I mean, I rock with both of them, but I'm, I'm definitely Team John. So at this time, we're going to go ahead and start this, um, this beat match, this debate, Man. this whatever you want to call it. And, you know. We are both time. We have a few minutes to discuss, you know, each side's point of view. We get two rebuttals and then we turn everything over to our producers. So EB is my co-host. Oh, let's you start. All right. Well, like I said, I'm extremely nervous for this one um, because I was part of that culture in the South during the time when John was really like everybody. He was catching everybody's ear. Um, but. I ultimately had to go to Swiss because you have to think about where he came from and his rise. People don't realize that his sound actually, he's from New York, but his sound originated in Atlanta. And he was 16 years old whenever he got his first shot at producing, and it was for DMX. Hmm. So in 1998, to be producing for... I, you know, arguably the biggest rapper um, in the day, because at that time, you know, DMX was bigger than everybody. Um, yeah. But he he basically built the whole sound of the Rough Riders on his back. Like that was, you know, Rough Riders was was of course his family's company, but those songs like Down Bottom and Rough Riders Anthem, and yeah. even Eve's Got a Man or Love Is Blind or DMX's Party Up, which I know. <laughs> can be a bit mundane these days it's polarizing over. Yeah. yeah but yeah. but at, you know at the time it was huge the video was huge um and then even outside of rough riders i mean he was doing stuff for jay you know jigga and money cash holes um it was during a time where he's a kid and he's influencing the entire industry because everybody followed swiss beats sound because he, he was the sound of partying because it made you want to party no matter what you heard or when you heard it um even some of the songs that he has produced that people don't really realize that that was him i mean you can go beyonce and you can talk about get me bodied and upgrade you and ring the alarm and check up on it or you could mellow it out and you can go Angie Stone, I Wish I Didn't Miss You, or Whitney Houston, Million Dollar Bill, because he just has that type of versatility in what he does. Um, and I know we're talking about them as producers, but you got to throw their solo work in there. And if I did that for Swiss, I got to think about It's Me when that came out, you know, and that was yeah. everywhere. Um, during I think it was like oh eight oh nine that oh, was oh eight oh seven oh eight yeah oh seven okay maybe. it was Something it, like that, it yeah. was it was like one of those things that was just everywhere and um 
you know, he produced for Mashonda. He gave Mashonda a hit, <laughs> and you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna dwell on the whole Mashonda relationship. <laughs> but hey, um, hey, he hey. he gave he was able to give these hits to people who were already established, and not only that, but also newer. I got you. Okay, yeah, I mean. The thing is, Swiss, I, it's a lot of songs I play from Swiss. I definitely rock with that, get me bodied all day. As simple as it is, it's probably one of the only R&B songs that doesn't have a single note in it. It's not a single piano. It's not a single bell. But I, I'll i say Swiss is not as whack as some folks say because some people just think he's all monotonous. But the thing with Lil Jon is people kind of have a similar criticism, and I feel like that's not the case. So with Lil Jon, of course, he's known for just being the king of, king of crunk. Is where all those songs, like you said, if you were in the South anywhere from 01 to like 05, 06, any of these songs that you hear, if you hear Get Crunk, you know, what's that that you throwing up, Eastside? If you hear No Problems from Lil Scrappy, we don't give a what. If you hear Headbusters, you hear Bia Bia, you hear Rep Yo City, you hear Never Ever Get On My Level, you hear Get Some Crunk In Your System, like, you already moving, just hearing it, just getting that... In your head, it's like, if you played football back then, if you at the club, like, I used to go to the club back then. I used to hate it at the time because I was I was probably 110 pounds, and they really are throwing bows and pushing you because it, it got to that height. But the thing is, some folks felt like Lil Jon was only, like, the crunk producer. I'll even say Dave Chappelle. I don't like the fact that Dave Chappelle, it was hilarious, but at the same time, it kind of made people not take him as, as serious and just see him as this just the what, yeah. But beyond, you can you can almost like forget about everything Crunky did. So going back before he had the actual crunk crunk with that bouncy slow sound, he had Who You With. Who You With is from like 97. You still hear that song all the time and it's sampled so much that, hey, 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 uh, Mustard almost made a whole career off of that one, one sound right there. And you always hear even the little hi-hat with the girl. Hi, hi. I don't even know what it's saying, but it's whatever it is, you hear it. But then... He was making that um back in the mid '90s. He was with JD and then making that like making that that booty bass music. So he had the Shorty Freak a little some them old school songs like the Freaknik era. But then he had '98. He got with Too Short. You can't be a better player than me. That song was used by Lil Wayne for Deep Pleaser. So that's a whole different sound. But then in that same era, he had the Capleton Tour remix. I didn't realize that until Versus. That's dancehall. I'm like, he got a dancehall banger. Then you get into that twerk. You get into that twerk, Lil John. That's a whole different level because I was tired of the crunk stuff. But when it comes to the twerking, you get to shake that monkey. Put a hump in your back. <laughs> you hear that? You get that salt shaker. You get that get low. You get that freak leak And then he flipped freak leak and then made Yeah, which was way bigger in one of the biggest songs. I would say the second, third biggest song of the whole decade. As much as we don't really care for that song on Confessions at this point, we might skip that one song. Confession sold that much because of, yeah, we can't deny that. Like, yeah, it was this that huge. You had goodies. He basically brought, Sierra was completely unknown. Now she's married to a superstar quarterback. So it's like, that's mm. all because Lil Superstar, made, you're pushing it. She married to a quarterback. That's A superstar, uh, super, super Bowl winning. But, you know, that's, that's all my time for now. We're we going to keep it going. So I'll I throw it back to you. All right. Um, <laughs> no, I, I absolutely, like I said, I love Lil John, And you're right. Um, he has crafted the sound of the South. He is the sound of Atlanta. But where I think Swiss has him is Swiss was in Atlanta producing, but his stuff doesn't, it, it's, it doesn't sound regional. Like when you hear it, you don't hear 
oh, this is all Atlanta or this is all New York or this is all Philly. I think he can be affiliated with that because of his affiliation with Rough Riders. But the stuff he produced for like Monica, songs like Raw, I mean, him with Jada Kiss, him on to the next, like these songs, they get you hype in a way that's different from uh, the little John violent, you know, throwing bows and headbutts. So no, we we want to we want to we want to be reckless, you know, but safe. And and Swizz was safe, you know. Little John, he he almost wants you to fight. And I've been in a couple places where I had to crawl out, and that's not fun. So I think that even though Little John is a great producer, he is a great artist. I think that his sound can be um, it can be kind of boxed in to this dirty south thing which is unfortunate and unfair because he can be so much more but when you hear little john you automatically think atlanta dirty south yin yang um the crunk he's the king of crunk you think crunk when you hear swiss whether you listen to angie stone or beyonce or jay-z or lil wayne it's like you can't really pinpoint what it is you know it's great you know that um, he has helped little. I'm sorry, he's helped DMX to um, become the icon that he is today. Even though you know DMX hasn't released in a while anything real hot, that sound that little that uh, Swiss Beats crafted for him is his signature sound. So I get what you're saying as far as Atlanta being. I mean, Lil John being like the sound of Atlanta. Here's the thing, Lil John. Yes, he was like the king of the sound of Atlanta and the South, but he was also the king or the second biggest producer in the hyphy movement, the West Coast club sound in the mid 2000s coming from Atlanta. So when he, he made blow the whistle, blow the whistle is still, you hear that all the time. Your auntie, your grandma like it. My nephews like it. And that song, it wasn't even as big because at the same time, he also made the second biggest Hyphy song, which was the biggest at the time, Tell Me When To Go. He made both of those. Those are the biggest hyphy songs, even over with Rick Rock. And I love Rick Rock, but but Lil Jon made the biggest hyphy songs, which were, and if you weren't on the West Coast or even certain places in the South, you might not know how big that movement was, but that was a whole lifestyle. And he made those along with, he made a song called Burn Rubber on Two Shorts album. And that song, if you hear that anywhere on the West Side, it's where... Uh, mustard sample that song twice it still gets used a lot along with that he's he made stuff for everybody that wasn't just a typical down south sound i mean so he had i mean some cut that's not really a down south beat that could be for anybody but some cut he took he when he told us on verses he heard the chairs squeaking in the studio and made a, a beat from it i'm like for him to make a cool smooth vibey song like that is amazing he made young buck shorty want to ride that was it sounded southern but it wasn't like ATL, ATL. But then for the East Coast, he came and made the Lean Back remix. Who wants to hear the original anymore? You hear, you hear Lean Back, you want to hear that remix because, wait a minute, as soon as it comes in, it's like you want to hear that version. He also was making songs like, he, he had a Go-Go song on the album. He had a song called All Skeet Skeet. He did that with DJ Cool. He also had the Slow Jams, Lovers and Friends. Oh, nah, nah. He had One Night Stand. So it's like, he had a lot more versatility and each, everything he did in these lanes was like, top level for that lane swiss beats gave us cassidy and i don't care what you think <laughs> or how you feel about cassidy um i'm a hustler is still 
still it will play today and i will be right yeah. back in 2005 um <laughs> you know swiss beats has been he's been able to um stay in his lane but expand on his lane he did chris brown's i can transform you um he did drake's fancy and we talked about how drake just is yeah. he just he's like a cockroach he just never leaves um <laughs> Swiss a light skinned a light skinned cockroach. Skin cockroach. Um Swiss actually is so good at what he does that he was named the first producer in residence for NYU. That means that he brought hip hop to NYU and not only did he do that, but the last person that we did the beat match with Kanye West said that Swiss was the greatest hip hop producer of all time. Now, much respect to Swiss. I, I, I just feel like John has that edge. I feel like he has even more diversity than folks will realize. I mean, because even with everything I mentioned, he also had the songs like The Girl Fight for Brooke Valentine. And he had the the Spanish. He had the whole Spanish era. He had the Toma and the Culo and the I Know You Want Me. And then he had he had the, um, what's it called, with, with LMFAO. He had those tracks. He had the Fist Pump era that, that was uh, out of your mind. He had turned down for what? The EDM clubs. You go to an EDM club in Vegas. He's tearing that whole lane up. I don't care if it's not for us specifically, but you hear those songs, you hear um da -na -na -na. you hear them type of songs. You even if you don't like it, if you're in Vegas and you fade it, you're gonna get hyped to it. So it's I feel all like very he, violent. As it as it should be, because it takes a very talented producer to bring that violence out of you. You might be he, he'll make MLK get crunk. <laughs> he would make, make Martin would be throwing bows against Malcolm like like alright so that's it <laughs> <that's, laughs> he made Gandhi get crunk in this come movie. on now come on let's be so realistic that's, here <laughs> that's all my time for, for today so at at this time I have to go ahead and hand this argument over to our producers the lady and Melissa so I'll give y'all a chance to, you know, if y'all have to discuss anything or just kind of get your brain cells formulated. All right, all right. First, before we start, I just want to hear, because you know the lady has a concert experience. And I just oh, she does. Hear... Look, she, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Go ahead and share. Every time. Okay, so don't try to guess who I'm voting for based on this, but absolutely the whole time uh eb is talking all i can think about is rough riders cash money tour in high school and then i started thinking about hard knock life tour in high school and just because dmx was just he was everything he could do no wrong and then i started thinking about the jay-z songs that he also was swiss beats and i was like all right i gotta stop because now i'm just thinking about high school <laughs> that was a long time ago but the memories are so strong and last thing uh at some point uh, Cassidy went to my high school and oh, then wow. fine he left and went to the neighborhood school but we went to a smart school we went to magnet school I don't know <laughs> oh yes and he sounded rough riders and was like nope let me go to King but <laughs> that's it that's it that's all I gotta say whoo okay that's it all right all right there's no doubt that the two of these people are legends like yeah you their resumes are undeniable and they're amazing, but I might be a little biased being from the South and being in high school, college during this, being Greek during this, like, mm, mm. I mean, I'm still Greek, but being Greek, Greek life, uh, 
every song that DJ Artistic was listing, I could just remember a stroll that was going to it. And it just mm. gave me so much energy and positivity. Positivity. You know, that, that, that energy and positivity that just make you want to throw bows. Um, and <laughs> Violent. <laughs> <laughs> and you know sometimes you just wake up and choose violence and and a good time <laughs> and i you feel do. like like that that's what was in the crunk juice i i gotta go with little john right so i was thinking about high school right and and then listening to the rest of the the arguments so the first song i really liked and i mean yes before college i probably heard a song i liked from the south but really the first song i liked was Get Low, Freshman mm. Year. Freshman Year, Get Low was the biggest song in the entire... It was it the was. biggest song At the, the club, country. boy. I couldn't deny it. Before, I was like, what are yeah. they talking about down here? What is this? <laughs> and yeah. I really, I, I couldn't get with the music. But by the time Get Low came out, I'm like, what is this? Like, yeah. and then was just, he was just running Atlanta, but he was really running the Southern Sound. And then... The more I heard and learned more about him later and how the career kind of progressed and then learning what he did before that, me, Lil John, would have to win this. Like, hmm. I, I still like Swiss and I, I love some of those, like, he has to me, like, those anthem songs as well. Yes. Um, and they take me back to a, a very specific moment and I, I can't wait to hear those in a concert environment again. <laughs> but Lil John just, it's just what he, what he was able to do. And and do it so well, be so impactful and influential, and do it on the West Coast too. I'm like, I just that's where I gotta go. The argument was super strong, and the high school memories versus that freshman year, it was just the impact. Like yeah. Swiss had a run, but Lil John's mm. individual each time yeah. to me is just so strong that yeah. it's just, I can't deny it. Yeah. Wow. Like, Shake That yeah. Monkey made no sense. Shake That Monkey. I was in college. Boy, like, that was that ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, was, yeah. When it came on, though. Yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. Okay? Yeah. yeah. And it still and sounds it, good. It's like still. none of it sounds dated. Yeah. Still. And like, yeah. I'm not even really a fan of Blow the Whistle, but Lord, my husband. I blow the whistle. <laughs> shaking dreads. Like, I don't. Yeah. I mean, uh, so that's my vote. Wow, I can't I mean, even be mad. I mean, I can be mad, but <laughs> I just, I just don't understand. Just take the take I the mean, L with. Respect. I'm gonna take it because I I don't hey. lose often. I I put that out there, so I don't lose often. So I will oh, take this right. because right. I have those same memories of John and actually being scared for my life. But the music is just so good, <laughs> but I can't leave right now. I yeah. remember that, so I, I I respect it. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is that he he had something for every part of the party. I mean, even just from that. Kings of Crunk album. So he had the early vibe. He had the, if you remember, I really had to play no games. He had Nuggins Free. When it starts to heat up, he had the kind of more vibey, we don't give a F. He had the Young Bloods, if you don't give a damn, we don't give a. But then it gets crunk. He gets to you pushing. He got that covered. Then you want to twerk on some. He got that covered. Then in college, you have a lap dance at the end. You had that slow jam that you just going to walk out with. He had, if it's face to face dancing, he got lovers and friends. If it's a lap dance, he got ooh, na, na, na. It's like whatever you want at a party, he got something for it. So I feel like he, he deserves all the respect for that alone. So I love so the salute distinction to, yeah. between face to face and lap dance. And it's a difference. Because, it's a di yeah, 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 I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a difference. But now salute to Swiss, of course. And I mean, salute to Swiss for making verses happen. So. 
He's a legend just for having that as part of his My guy's an NAACP winner right now, so I still want to mad. Yeah, that's how it is. So, hey, so, I mean, for everybody who's out there listening, if you, whoever you feel with winning that battle uh, between Lil John and Swiss, hit us with that hashtag, Behind the Wheels Pod, and let us know what y'all think. We appreciate all the feedback we've been getting so far. So, also, if you have any suggestions for, for anything, for the drop, beat match, anything you want us to, to discuss at all, make sure you go ahead and send us an email at behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. So also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, of course. It's the same for me. I'm at D-J-R-T-I-S-T-I-C. E-B, what's your info? E-B for Prez. E-B, the number four, and then Prez is spelled P-R-E-Z as in zebra. So E-B for Prez. Hit me up. That's what that is. And also, please, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts and check out the official playlist on Spotify. We have the link in the show notes. And as you can see, it's going to be everything from Deborah Killings to Roger and Zap to Ali Caldwell, Beat King, Lil John and Swiss, and maybe some from Waiting to Exhale. I mean, it's going to be it's, a black be experience. Everything. It's everything that you want to hear, everything that you need to hear. So mm-hmm. make sure you check that out. And we appreciate you all for rocking with us for 12 episodes. And we'll see you all next time. We out. Out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Munts and the lady Yahoma Sex. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.